Good morning, everyone. Wow, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, my name's John, John Paul. Paul's my surname, as I keep saying. Uh, my accent is from Northern Ireland, where I was born. I've got four sisters and a brother. I'm married to Adriana from Romania, and I have two sons and two granddaughters who are lovely. And um, there is a picture somewhere. Um, Yes, that's uh, one of my favourite places is Blythe Beach. We were there yesterday walking along the beach in the sunshine. It was just beautiful. I love that place. And at the end of the beach, you can have some wonderful ice cream. Um, my favourite is a two-scoop tub with Snickers and coffee ice cream. Ah, it's just so good. So that's, uh, that's all the good things. Um, that was just wonderful worship this morning, wasn't it? John is just, he's not here to say it, but it just leads us into the, uh, just it really touched me, you know, Jesus, what can I bring? Yeah, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? And I'm stand, sitting there, standing there, seeing this and thinking, Lord, what can I bring this morning? Um, the talk we're doing is based on the, a series, The Church Jesus Would Build Today. And today's theme is probably taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which uh, will appear. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'm going to look at being devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is, I mean, being devoted to the Bible. The apostles' teaching soon became the apostles' epistles <laughs> and, uh, and part of the word of God. And so we're going to include all of that in it and to prayer. So it's, you know, apostles' teaching and prayer. Just a little topic, isn't it? Um, what does it mean to be devoted? A lady was reading her newspaper at the breakfast table while her husband was engrossed in a football magazine. And suddenly she burst out laughing. She said, listen to this, she said. There's a classified ad here where a guy is offering to swap his wife for a season ticket to St. James's Park. And the husband just said, hmm, and uh, didn't even look up from his magazine. And teasing him, she said, would you swap me for a season ticket to St. James's Park? Absolutely not, he said. Oh, how sweet, she said. Tell me why not. Season's half over, he said. <laughs> Where was his devotion focused? Where's your devotion focused? The first thing we read about the church is their devotion, uh, and it's a dynamic, inspiring description of Jesus' followers, this being devoted to him. The Greek word means to join, to adhere, to be ready, to be faithful, to be committed. And they, it says they devoted themselves. I think, I think that's saying that each of them took responsibility for their own devotion, but they were part of this great, wonderful church, 3,000 plus then, wasn't it? Um, and they are hungry to learn about Jesus, hungry for the word of God, keen to pray to him, full of desire to please him, to meet together, to bless each other, and they were keen to tell people about Jesus and continue the work that the Holy Spirit had started on the day of Pentecost. That's God's church. Isn't that what we are? You're not sure. Um, 
that's, that's who we are. We're God's people. And uh, I mean, I was just, I was reading that thinking, you know, that in the middle of the apostles' teaching and to prayer, and prayer is the words, and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And that's, that's just, you know, enfolded in the middle. Uh, it's out of that fellowship and breaking of bread, whether that was actually sharing in the Lord's Supper or whether it was just eating together, um, but eating together, Lord's Supper, uh, fellowship together is so important uh, and it's even better when we surround it with the word and with prayer, but it's all tied up together. Do you get the message on that? Um, but this is God's church, devoted. And, you know, when that's what Jesus wants Life Vineyard Church to be like. If you put all of that together in this church, you have the ingredients for revival. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily. So how is your devotion? As I've asked before several times now, is Jesus preeminent in your life? That's the key. And as I was singing that, what can I bring? What can I give? I'm thinking, Lord, you're not really, I'm, I'm not allowing you to be as preeminent as you are. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, and you will see a New Testament prayer meeting and how scripture can enrich your prayer life and your prayer life enrich your reading and study of the word of God. Um, but just as an introduction to this passage we're going to read, just before this, Peter and John had healed the crippled man at the gate of the temple and then they proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection. They were arrested. Um, why? Well, maybe because the church had grown and, uh, and was growing and was a threat to the Jewish leaders. Uh, so they're arrested and they're cross, they cross-examine Peter and John and tell them not to speak or to teach about Jesus anymore. But they say, we must obey God. They were devoted to Jesus no matter what. And so they were set free because there's not much more they could do with them. So let's read um, Acts chapter 4 and we'll begin at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Uh, we'll read, we're going to read the whole of this passage, but I want to split it into three parts. So that's the first part. The apostles knew where to go for support, for encouragement, and from prayer, for prayer. They went back to their church family. I don't know whether there were 3,000 of them together. Probably not. They were probably scattered around Jerusalem in smaller groups. But did Peter and John assume that the church was already gathered and praying, just like in Acts chapter 12, when Peter is released from prison, he goes to where they are meeting together. And, you know, we need to ask ourselves the question, where is your first port of call when you're in trouble? 
Where's your first port of call? Imagine 24-7 prayer right here in this place. Always someone to pray for you and, and our community. Well, we haven't got it yet. But we have life groups to support each other, to be a place where we can receive prayer and input from the scripture that will encourage us. And this group of people were praying. There was, you know, there was noisy, united, powerful intercession. I think they were all praying out loud together. Uh, it's a good practice. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes when I'm not making a lot of progress in prayer, I get up and walk around and I pray out loud. And there's something about praying out loud, even when you're on your own. Um, it, well, it starts me from falling asleep. It's hard to fall asleep when you're, when you're wandering around. Uh, and it starts from being distracted, but it helps me to pray with greater intensity, greater emotion. I don't know, there's something you can, you know, like I'm standing here. If I was sitting just preaching to you, it would be hard. Um, so they were praying with great intensity. Um, you know, we sing out loud together. Why can't we pray out loud together? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say, they had confidence in the greatness of their God that I think was derived from Scripture. Their first thoughts were of divine sovereignty. They begin their prayer, Sovereign Lord. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings over the years, but I've never heard a prayer begin with Sovereign Lord. But that's addressing God with faith and confidence. You're in charge, Lord. Hallelujah. And then they go on to say, You made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Um, I mean, I think this was more of a song of praise than a prayer. It was, a, it was, a, it was praise, a praise beginning to prayer, and it's focusing on God. In the Greek, heaven and earth, I'm told, uh, is, is in capitals, which is, uh, from what I've read, and I haven't checked this out, it indicates that it was a quote. And they would have known their scriptures well, so that they could pray scripture. And maybe it was in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, that they were thinking of, you alone are the Lord, you made the heavens, even the highest heaven, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. They would have known that verse and could have recited it in prayer. Or maybe it was Exodus 20:11, where you get the Ten Commandments. And for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And the seventh day is to be holy unto him. Uh, or Psalm 146, verse 6. Blessed is who, he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. When I lived in West Denton, my house faced east and my study window looked out over the west end of the city a bit, but I got the sun rising in the morning and shining in the window and it was just beautiful on a, on a, when there was no clouds. And it reminded me of Psalm, I think it's Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And it goes on to say, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, Sovereign Lord, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. It's a good way to begin the day, to focus on the sovereign God and his power. Because Satan throws everything else at us that we can think of to get us to take our eyes off God. We mustn't allow it. 
you know, Dawkins, they, they, um, what would you call him? <laughs> the, the humanist. I mean, he said, talking about DNA, he said, you know, that, well, he said basically the universe is, not, is run by blind physical forces. But that's not true. It's run by a wonderful, loving creator God. Uh, you know, we, we have a big God, a powerful creator. Um, our God created the stars. Look at this star, that one there. Um, that's, it's RMC136A1 is its <laughs> number. It's a member of a star cluster which lies about 160,000 light years from Earth in the middle of the Tarantula Nebulae and the large Magellanic Cloud, a dwarf companion galaxy of the Milky Way. So now you know exactly where it is. <laughs> But let me tell you, it's 200 times the mass of the sun. It's the most massive star known, even though it's only about 30 times wider than our sun. It's one of more than 200 bright, massive stars in that immediate area that I've just told you where it is. And in addition to holding the title of being the most massive star, it also takes the crown for being the most luminous star. So even though it's so far away, there it is, and with a bit of a telescope, you can see it. Look at another one. This is UI Scooty. Oh, no, the one before. That's, oh, we missed the other one. That's UI Scooty. It's an extreme red hypergiant in the constellation Scutum in the Milky Way galaxy. It's about a thousand times the size of the sun. So when you see the Earth as against it, the next slide, the next picture, the Earth is there. I can't see it, but it's down in the corner. It's just a little dot compared to this massive place. God created it. And then let's have another picture. What's this? Um, this is what you see if you have a scanning microscope and uh, look into a single piece of woody debris. It, you'll find it's a bustling hub for a forest of microbes. Here is a bristle worm and two types of mite in the uppermost layer of the soil in the black forest. Um, it's a lady from Stockton and Tees who's just working on all of this. And they break down a cornucopia of dead and living matter and cycle nutrients back into the earth. Amazing, you can't see them without a, a microscope, but they're there. God created those little things. What about the next one? Oh, look at that. That's like something out of Doctor Who, isn't it? This microscopic animal is a spiky-bodied rotifer, which you all know is common in freshwater ecosystems. In soil, rotifers propel themselves through the tiny films of water that surround plant parts and dirt particles, and they eat the organic debris along the way. So, you know, next time you pick a bunch of flowers from your garden, just think you may have one of those that comes onto your hand when it's wet and it's crawling up your arm and whatever else it does. I don't know. But it's part of God's creation. Isn't it just beautiful? God created that. What a God. He thought up and designed both those enormous stars and these minute creatures that no one sees and hasn't only seen recently. It's amazing. It's not chance. It's not purposeless, but part of his wonderful creation. Before these people in Acts chapter 4 ask God for anything, they fill their minds with thoughts of divine sovereignty. Faith in such a sovereign creator God gives us hope and confidence. 
Do you know the toddler property rules? No? Well, let me tell you them. There's about ten of them, but I'll go through some of them. Toddler rule number one, if I like it, it's mine. Two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had, a little, had it a little while ago, it's mine. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. <laughs> if I saw it first, it's mine. If I scream at the top of my voice, it's mine. If you are playing with something and put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> when Jesus Christ looks down on this broken universe of ours, from his exalted throne at the right hand of the Father, and he sees the great galaxies whirling in space and the planets and the, peop uh, and the people on, the on this planet and all the minute details of life here, including the details of your life and mine. He alone can say, it's all mine. Yeah. The Chinese may claim Taiwan as theirs, or Putin may claim Ukraine as his, but our sovereign Lord owns it all. Amen. Are you anxious about the future of the church? Look to the one who is sovereign over all. Are you anxious about econ the economic crisis, inflation, or your pension? Look to the one who is sovereign Lord over all. Are you anxious about increasing secularization of our society? Look to the one who is sovereign Lord over all. Are you anxious about your family? or your health, or your faith. Look to the one who is sovereign Lord over all. Let's begin by getting hold of the bigness of our God. Sing his praises with enthusiasm. Stir up our faith in his ability and power to help us. And then let's begin to really pray with greater confidence. Let's read the next passage in Acts chapter 4, verse 26 to 28. Uh, verse 25, maybe. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They had confidence in the greatness of God's plan that was, they discovered was derived from, they discovered that from Scripture. A plan that's right from the God's heart. And you know, notice it says, you spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Note, God speaks. We've got to get hold of that. God speaks. He's speaking to some of you this morning. And note to the confirmation of the inspiration and truth of Scripture. 
God spoke by his Holy Spirit to David, and it's recorded in Scripture for us today. These words are from God. Timothy writes 2 Timothy 3, and Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's useful. This book is useful. Mine's falling to pieces, but I don't want to let go of it because it's got so bits, many bits marked and so on. It's useful. It's been such a great blessing to me in my life. If the church is to see God doing powerful things, it must acknowledge and believe that the scriptures are inspired by God. If you're not sure about that, maybe you should do an Alpha course because you'll learn about it there and it'll encourage you. What's hmm, look at a picture? Let me show, show you another picture. What's this? Hmm, well, I'll tell you what it is. Um, Andrew over there should know because he, I think he's been to Honey Duara in Romania. And uh, my wife, Adriana, who's from Romania, she used to work as a technical engineer in a factory in Honey Duara making electrical harnesses for the BMW Mini. And that, I think, is a bit of the electrical harness. And uh, uh, the next picture is of a BMW Mini because you'll probably recognize it first. But I went along to that factory and there were hundreds of people working on a production line assembling this, these bits of electrical cable. And I thought, wow. And, but you know, as they went in through the door of the factory every morning and every time they went in, there were before them two BMWs. One had been cut in half down the middle so that they could see where their electrical harness fitted into this mini and the other was a complete finished work. Um, one half to show how their harness fitted into the bigger plan. And we need to see the plan, the bigness of God's plan, and really get, to hold, get a hold of our part in it. Verse 25 and verse 26 tells it, uh, tells it all. God spoke through David's psalm about plots and opposition directed against the Lord and against his son, his anointed son. And that happened. And, uh, th you know, the, these people in, in this prayer meeting, they saw it. They saw it. They saw in the mention of the nations and the peoples and the kings and the rulers opposed to Jesus, they saw the Romans, the Jewish people, King Herod, the religious rulers, Caiaphas and Annas and the high priests. They saw who they were. It was predicted. All enemies involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. It was all there in scripture. So it was no surprise for God when his son died on a cross. God is the supreme historian. He wrote all history before it ever began. You see, having done their worst, the opposition merely succeeded in fulfilling God's eternal plan. Praise God, he is omniscient. He knows all. In fact, in verse 3 of Psalm 2, you could go on to read, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them at the attempts of evil men to thwart his plan. So immediately the, this praying church see that this speaks about their situation too. 
and they find comfort and hope in it. And they pray and they praise and the word of God brings explanation and helps them when they move from praise to petition to know what to ask for. This plan, all about Jesus from all eternity. They looked at what happened to Jesus and realized this is God's plan. They remembered the crucifixion, the sense of loss and hopelessness, then the resurrection, when they realized what a waste of time worrying and being afraid when it was God's plan that would bring forgiveness and healing and new beginning and new hope through the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus. Peter's sermon that put him in prison, he said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. There's some great buts in the Bible. That's one of the best. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. I love that. Let's read the, the final passage here. Um, we're going to read verse 29 to onwards. Now, now, Lord, this is where they get to the petition bit. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They had confidence to pray amazingly big prayers. Truth from God's word was their encouragement to pray those big selfless prayers. They didn't pray to be freed from persecution. They prayed rather that they could evangelize. God's plan succeeded despite opposition. Another 2,000 were added, you know, after Peter and John prayed. God is a God of growth, not of decline. From the word go, you know, Adam, go forth and multiply. Abraham, all nations shall be blessed in you. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. His plan is growth till the earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Can it happen today? Oh, you're learning since last Sunday. Good. <laughs> Look at what we have. A God who is sovereign Lord, powerful creator, Lord of history. His plan is for the whole world to hear the gospel and his plan is to use you and me. Which is why we need the word of God and prayer to God. If God did what he did in Acts, you know, most of our buildings would be totally irrelevant. Where would you put 5,000 people if they turn up this morning? Careful and prayerful study of Scripture plus prayer consistent with Scripture will lead us to expect to see God do powerful things. Tonight in the Revive, we're going to have a session on healing and then next week on prophecy. If you want to be used by God to heal the sick or to bring prophecy be filled with the Spirit. Know God's voice. Know the Word of God so that you recognize God's voice when he wants to give you a prophecy. And be a, 
be, a, be living a prayer-filled life, communi- communicating with God. You know, that'll all be much better expounded tonight, but just occurred to me, this is important. In everything we do, prayer and the word of God together is powerful. Now, Lord, consider their threats. So basically saying, they're over to you, Lord. We'll leave the threats in your hand. They ask for boldness to speak. Enable your servants. The word slave. Slave belong entirely to his master. They were surrendering all to God, even their lives. Not your will, not our will, but your will be done. The priority is not our lives, but the lost. As the Father sent me, so send I you, Jesus said. Empowered by the Spirit, an intimate relationship with the Father in prayer, encouraged in faith through the word of God, plus persecution. But that's all right. They asked God for power to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. Jesus did all that stuff. These things happened at Pentecost and, was very, uh, and were very fruitful. Peter and John had just healed a lame man, so they were asking for the same. They knew what they needed from God. And God answered their prayer. They needed the Holy Spirit. The place shook. God was present. The Holy Spirit came. They were filled. They spoke the word of God boldly. Isn't that exciting? Jim Graham wrote some years ago, One of the greatest threats to Christianity is neither heresy or blasphemy, but an unexciting Christian. This has nothing to do with looks, personality, temperament, or ability, but everything to do with the excitement which surrounds a person who is living in the realities of another world of unlimited dimensions and who knows that God loves them. Right? And that God's endless resources are available to them. That's what Jesus wants in his church. A church where the word of God and prayer belong together. Jesus said in John 15 verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There it is, the word and the prayer. If you remain in me and my words, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit. Um, I wasn't going to mention James Alexander Gordon to you, but um, I've been using a little book of his devotions, Pastures of Tender Grass. Uh, It's a lovely book, but it's all in authorized version. Um, But I I opened it up this morning at April the 25th for some reason, and it was that verse I've just read from John 15, verse 7. And here's what he says. Never talk about failure. Talk about the word, its absolute integrity, and of your utter confidence in it, of your ability to act on it, and hold fast to your confession of its truthfulness. 
You cannot build faith without practicing the word. You cannot develop a prayer life that is anything but words unless the word actually has a part in your life. You live the word, you do the word. James describes him uh, very, well, he quotes James chapter one, which I've translated for you. (laughs) Um, do, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He says, the measure that I live the word is the measure of my faith. My prayer life is valuable only in the measure that the word in my lips is a living thing. It lives only as I practice it. He goes on to read more from James. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in the mirror and immediately forget what he looks like. Uh, And then he, he says, what kind of person is this? He says, why he is a new creature in Christ, a new creation. He is a member of the body of Christ. He is a son with a legal standing and the ability of God. And yet he lives like a common man, like a non-Christian. He has a standing invitation to visit in the throne room anytime he wishes. He has the righteousness of God, which enables him to stand in the presence of the Father with the same freedom that Jesus possessed. But he lives like a common man. And when a crisis comes, he is hunting for someone to believe for him. Where are you at? Where are you at?